0: The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McEachan and scriptwriter Mark Hadley.
1: A Bible Society Australia production sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world.
2: How do you do? I'm Ben McKeckin. And I'm his manicurist, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 108 of The Big Picture for the week beginning May 22. And coming up on today's Big Picture show... King Arthur returns to screens, but is it legendary? Why the Alien franchise is more than shock and gore. Plus,
0: we've seen The Shack, 2017's most talked about Christian movie, and now we're going to talk about it too. Hey everyone. Hello, (laughs) Mark Hadley. Welcome back after two weeks off from
2: The Big Picture. Where, Where on earth have you I have been holding breath now. (gasps) Spain, Northern Ireland, France, England, uh, Germany. There was another country in there, I can't remember. Hello to you,
0: Sam Robinson. Hello. That that was just showing
2: off.
3: I'm waiting for my souvenir because Mark Hadley's come in tonight and there is nothing in his
2: hand for us. I was working. 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 Yeah, sure. And eating some strudel on the side, I'm sure. I barely had time for a massage. Mate, they have shops
0: in airports, you know what I'm saying? They have (laughs) shops in international airports. They have bars. Welcome back, though. Very nice to see you. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Now, let's get into what's coming out at the movies this week, Ben McKekin. Well, gentlemen, something that opened last Thursday, so it's in cinemas right now, is Viceroy's House, which I still (laughs) claim is the worst title of a movie this year. (laughs) But... Um, When Mark was away last week, Russ Matthews, um, our regular um, guest reviewer here at The Big Picture, reviewed Viceroy's House, said it's actually pretty good um, about uh, the British Empire handing back um, India, the establishment of Pakistan in India, a Romeo and Juliet story, all of that being combined, and one of the stars of Downton Abbey's in it, that's Viceroy's House, so... If that sounds good to you, you might want to go and check it out. I saw it. I liked it. There you go. One other person liked it. (laughs) And coming, uh, also opening at Thursday last week and reviewed by Russ on the show. If if you want to check out Russ's reviews, go to thebigpicturewebsite.com for his reviews on this as well. John Wick, Chapter 2. A much different beast Device Roy's house is basically a hyper-violent yet thoughtful assassin movie starring Keanu Reeves. Mm, what's on the telly, Mark Hadley?
2: Well, this week you're going to see starting Tuesday 8.30pm on the ABC War on Waste. War
0: on
3: Waste! <laughs> I think you have to
2: say it like <laughs> yes, that. And we're not going to claim victory anytime soon from an aircraft carrier if this series has anything to say. Look, you don't remember Craig Rewcastle from The Chaser, yep. The Checkout. Okay, well he's taking us on a mission to uncover just how much produce we waste as a nation. So Ep1, showed huge amounts of fruit and veg discarded each year because they don't fit the standards of supermarkets. You can have a banana that's too bendy so they okay. won't they won't sell it. Won't sell it to you. Wow. Bananas we, that are too straight not get in either. We
0: as people are often ridiculous. <laughs> mm.
2: Too bendy bananas. I know and also the second episode is the staggering amount of food that ends up in landfill every year. As apparently it's better than concrete for building Anyway, don't it's worry. bendy bananas. Okay. Also coming up on Netflix, starring, starting May twenty two. They call us monsters. This is a really interesting documentary series. It follows the lives of three serious juvenile offenders in the United States penal system. Now that doesn't sound like much more than oh, okay, we're doing a sort of a crime or post crime documentary series, except that these kids are aged between fourteen and seventeen and are being treated as adults. And this happens mm-hmm, in right. a lot of places mm. around the world. And Australia has its own dalliance with you know younger people inside. Of uh, adult detention systems, yeah. and so it's a really interesting way to to look at not just the kids, but the society that's choosing to forget them. So I recommend that go have, have a look at Netflix May twenty two. They Call Us Monsters. May
0: 22, that's tonight.
2: Indeed it mm. is.
0: But is. <laughs> still jet lagged.
3: aren't you? No, I, am a t-
2: I am a tad. And by the way, I was just... Don't go now. I mean, it's <laughs> Netflix, people. It's Netflix. You can get it later. <laughs> from right. now.
3: Or okay. well, as Mark Hadley recovers from his jet-lag, he's got a true or false question for us. Ooh, In- la la. <laughs> okay.
0: From Spain? No,
2: not from Spain. Northern Ireland. This, this one is from England. Oh. A jolly old England. Rather. Okay. In a moment, Ben's going to take us to the court of the round table is reviews King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Yeah, I think you pronounced that right. I'm (laughs) very excited. Anyway, this is not the first time, though, that Hollywood's made a big production of the Arthurian legend. One of the most prominent was in 1967. You remember the musical Camelot? Oh, indeed. Owen Camelot. (laughs) I know it sounds a bit bizarre. Oh, wow. Uh, I always remember it when you sing it like that. (laughs) But a lot of costume choices had to be made in order to accommodate modern tastes. Okay. Okay. And also the fact that actors were actors. So all the armour was made out of rubber. No, you know, it's, it's soft. Soft. soft, soft. Absolutely soft. Mm. Uh, the director Joshua Logan wanted Guinevere's wedding dress to be extremely natural-looking, okay. nature-inspired. Okay, So he ended up using one made out of, A, a fishing net sewn with seashells, mm-hmm. B, hessian bags decorated with daisies, <laughs> mm. or C, a leather ball gown with alpaca trim. <laughs> Which of those did Guinevere wear in Camelot? That well, we'll, sounds like we'll every
0: every young lady's fantasy to get married in a leather ball gown with alpaca trim. Yes,
3: so particularly that's, my, that's going to be my choice. A idea.
2: Okay.
0: All right. Well, let's continue the
3: chat about to all things King Arthur because who's ready for some swordplay, sorcery, revenge, greed, and giant elephants? That's what. Yes, that's right. All of those things and more show up in King Arthur Legend of the Sword, the newest attempt to turn the mythic English leader into a film franchise. But has movie magic been made out of an ancient tale of prophecy, calling and salvation?
2: Why is the water dropped? There are rumours. The legend of the sword of a king other than yourself.
0: Find
1: him. Oh! I know your story. What kind of a man would you become had you inherited your father's kingdom instead of being raised in a brothel?
0: Wow. All right, blokes. It is, what, 2017, and we're up to King Arthur Legend of the Sword. I think the most recent King Arthur movie was... Uh, was it around five to ten years ago? Clive Owen was starring as King Arthur. Kira Knightley was in that movie. Ray Winstone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That movie didn't go so well, but here we are again, a couple of years later, having another shot at this
2: Arthurian legend. Did you know Th- that Daniel Craig was offered the role for King Arthur in that? In that other King yeah, Arthur yeah, in movie, that other one. the mm-hmm. guy's playing James Bond, James or it Bond. may or may not be James Bond. Clive Owen, you chose Clive Owen over Daniel Craig.
0: Well, he, but anyway. Clive Owen also was up for James Bond around the same time. Looks like they must have swapped roles or something. Anyway, we're talking yeah. about that, that King Arthur. This is the new King Arthur, and this one's more of an origin story of King Arthur, like you get with most blockbuster films now where they're trying to start up a franchise. Let's go for the origin story. Let's go for the bit before he became King Arthur.
2: Let's go for where Arthur came from. Is he called Wart? He is not called Wart. What, why would he be called Wart? Because the cartoon version that Disney did of King Arthur yes. in The Sword and the Stone yes. was an um, origin story as well, and he was called Wart.
0: Oh, no, he is not. He's just called Arthur, played by the English actor Charlie Hunnam. And the film basically charts his rise from, as that clip just uh, d- briefly discussed, how he ended up growing up in a brothel as an orphan who doesn't know his uh, that he's actually the... the Son of the slain king Uther, played by Eric Banner, and then the rest of the movie is basically uh, him going on, getting going, going on, getting his hands on Excalibur, that famous sword that gives him all kinds of superpowers to to actually be the guy he was born to be, and then going up against the guy who is the king Vortigern played by Jude Law who you know is a nasty pasty and just just really just wants power for his own good. Okay.
2: That my friends is King Arthur Legend of the Sword in a nutshell. This is from guy Ritchie who basically spiced up Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. I mean what what does he do with the ancient tale of King Arthur?
0: A similar kind of thing, but he's not nearly as successful. And I wasn't a huge fan of the Sherlock Holmes film with Guy with with Robert Downey Jr. I like the fact that Robert Downey Jr. was in it playing Sherlock Holmes. I like what director Guy Ritchie was trying to do with it, um, adding a bit of uh, grit and grime and flair and swagger and that kind of thing. He's really trying to do exactly the same thing here, but I think it largely falls almost at, at every count. This is a really drab Blockbuster. I think it cost 170 something million dollars. We like 170 million to make. Oh, this change when it, when it came out <laughs> in the states, it it took in about 15 million at the box office. Mm. That, by anyone's account, is a bit of a dud. And mm. I think actually audiences got it right that there's not much about this origin story that really drags you in. So uh, it's not that. It's not as funny or cheeky or charismatic or uh, cheerful as it seems to want to be. Um, it's it seems to ju- it, it basically just goes through a lot of expected things that you get from any kind of origin story with this sort of setup, not going in new directions apart from chucking in some giant elephants right at the oh. start, which I don't even understand what they were doing there. That is a little weird. But the guy playing <laughs> King Arthur, Charlie Hunnam, like he's fine, but it doesn't really it doesn't have Robert Downey Jr.'s. Like assuredness or anything like that. Yeah. Jude Law is the bad guy. If you've seen the the young Pope that's on SBS at the moment, if yep, you've ever yep. seen any of that, him playing this sort of devilish Pope, uh, Jude Law. What you get from Jude Law in a couple of minutes of the Young Pope doesn't show up at all oh. in King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, which is a real mistake mm. because like that's the this is exactly the kind of role that it should have been. He should have been playing it in. Instead, it just becomes for me largely
2: cheerless. Oh. The whole film was a bit. It was just drab, right? Well, I'm still excited. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of talking King Arthur legend, of the sword, about prophecy, magic. Does that give the movie something to work with spiritually or anything? Like the
0: the same the. the it, the same story. I think I'll just be telling the same story over and over. about King Arthur. All the elements are there that you think will make something of a rip roaring tale. So having prophecy, and you've got a firstborn son of a king. There's salvation for the people. They're waiting for that. Mythic abilities. He's the the son who's born for this role. All that kind of stuff. And then you add in magic, mm. like the power of the sword. And there's also this race of wizard people called the mage. All of that sounds like it could like really rev up the legend of the sword, but instead. It doesn't, and mm. and even with this like King Arthur trying to refit the story of Jesus' life with some Cockney geezers who are fighting evil kings back in the day, helped out by convenient
2: bursts of magic. It, even that
0: doesn't actually work on screen as it, well it, as it Scott might. It's Guy Ritchie.
2: There had to be a Cockney in there somewhere. Ever since Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, it's basically Cockney, Cockney, Cockney. Yeah, he's
0: basically tried to do that and really somewhat failed mm. in that attempt.
3: Now, King Arthur, it's built on this idea of someone being chosen for a particular role. Does does that leave audiences thinking about purpose in life,
0: ben? Yeah, yeah. They'll be thinking about, what was my purpose? Should I really have come here and seen this? And I think they'll be thinking, no, I shouldn't have stepped up, <laughs> up for that. I shouldn't have. That wasn't my purpose. But... Yes, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, like heavily hinges on purpose in life. Um, I think plenty of people uh, mull over this day in day out about what am I, what am I doing here? Um, I heard a really good sermon on this recently when I visited a holiday when I was away for 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 a week, and it got me thinking again about purpose. There's a passage in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians that talks about how uh, if you're a person who follows Jesus, that God has already Like pre-prepared effectively good works that you can go out and do in the rest of your life as someone who follows jesus that kind of overall purpose for life whatever that's going to look like for you i don't exactly know if you're a follower of jesus but that overall purpose for life i think is fantastic comfort as you go through going about whatever you're going to do you may not be sure what it is but you have a purpose that's great king arthur legend of the sword as much as it's got a, a Pre-packaged purpose for what Arthur's going to do: grab the sword and and take like take what's his. It doesn't offer any great purpose to audience members whatsoever. Oh, it's well. quite a disappointment. Uh, King Arthur,
3: Legend of the Sword stars Charlie Hunnam, Jude Law and Eric Banner. It's now showing in cinemas and
2: it's rated M for fantasy
3: themes, violence and coarse language. Now, true or false answer, Mark Hadley.
2: Okay, a little before the review we said 1967's Camelot, Joshua Logan, the director, wanted a real natural take on Guinevere's wedding dress and he went with A, a fishing net sewn with seashells, B, hessian bags decorated with daisies or C, a leather ball gown with alpaca trim. C, alpaca trim. B. B. Well, gentlemen, you're both wrong. Ah. He he basically said, wrapper in a fishing net, let's throw some seashells on. That would lovely. (laughs) Oh, natural.
3: There you go. (laughs) We're coming up on the big picture, the sounds of The Shack, and Mark goes into a cinema where everyone can hear you scream to watch Alien Covenant. Welcome back to me
0: and (laughs) to anyone else who's joining us on the big picture, Ben. (laughs) Including myself. We're at the soundtrack segment of the show, and this week, we thought we'd choose something from a film we're about to discuss later in the program, The Shack, which is one of the most controversial, talked-about Christian movies of the year by like by a long, long way. So, to get us in the mood for The Shack, we thought we'd play you a little bit of this. Oh, my heart, don't let it
3: bleed no more. Sometimes forgiveness is like a man
0: God only
2: knows why love is worth the fall. Maybe that's what makes it love. Maybe that's what makes it
0: Gentlemen, everybody, that's a little band you might like to call Hillsong United with their song Heaven Knows, which you may or may not have heard that actual song. I dare say you've definitely heard of the band.
2: I I actually did hear of this recently because while I was in Europe, I discovered this this program which I thought I might share with you. It's actually really quite interesting. It's called Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. No, no, don't laugh. It's actually a real revolution. Oh, it's a real thing. Spotify. You can actually listen to all sorts of things on it. What? Are you, are you crazy? Uh, anytime wow. you like I made something called a playlist oh, it Wow Tell us about the song anyway, ben, thanks, come on.
0: thanks Grandpa for en- enlightening <laughs> us about um, something you discovered that you everyone, laugh, everyone found I, about oh, 10 years ago you, uh, but it, this, it will revolutionize this, is, this, this industry This is unlike Mark's uh, revelation about Spotify this is actually new uh, Joel Houston from Hillsong United uh, said it was pretty crazy getting to work on the Shack project they were, uh, uh, Hillsong United was approached about being involved with writing a song for the Shack they got to see the film being formed they fell f- Effectively written it exactly for The Shack. So, Heaven Knows is specific to The Shack. One of the other things about music in The Shack and we'll be talking more about the film overall later on, there's two scenes in church and w- and both of them involve singing. One they sing Holy, Holy, Holy and the other one Our God is an Awesome God. That was some great moments in the cinema for me getting to watch people on screen including Sam Worthington, ah. the star of Avatar who's also in The Shack, singing Holy, Holy, Holy and Our God is an Awesome God. Ah.
1: Hmm.
3: Now there are some science fiction franchises that can truly be said to have helped define the genre. Star Wars gave us Jedi Knights, Star Trek the Federation of Planets and a drive to go where no one else has gone before. Did I say that right, Mark Hadley? Is that- You've got
2: to say with no one has gone before. Okay, there we go. Mm.
3: Well, no list would be complete though without the Alien series. Ridley Scott's original film Alien laid the groundwork for a whole generation of terrifying beasts that roam the black heart of space. That series has spawned a new film, Alien Covenant, and Mark says it's as scary as ever. But it still makes room for some of the bigger questions about the scariest place of all, the human heart.
0: We're making history here.
2: This is weird. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth?
3: Who planted it?
0: You hear that?
1: What?
0: Nothing. No birds. No animals. Nothing.
2: Or so they think. Really? And I've got to say, this film is... Awesome. Awesome? It is awesome. Okay, just getting right off the bat. The crew of a colony ship, the Covenant, bound for a remote planet, discover an uncharted paradise. Could this be their new home? And what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) This is my motto. They head down to the surface and discover a threat beyond their imagination, and their harrowing escape attempt begins. And just when it looks like they'll be wiped out for sure, they're rescued by an android called David the sole survivor of the Prometheus mission. There's the link in with the previous Alien film, a ship that we're missing apparently 10 years ago. But he is he their saviour or is he the devil in disguise?
0: Now, Alien Covenant is the new addition. This is the sixth instalment in the overall Alien franchise, which began back in 1979 with the initial Ridley Scott Alien film mm. Alien films Across now What's that Almost three decades Have covered loads of genre From straight out horror That was more the first film To action adventure That was the second film Even dramatic thinking films Which were the third and fourth But less people People were less interested In those uh, where, People were less interested Oh yes they oh, were Okay fine
2: Yeah <laughs> well, I, I personally was but where fascinated
0: does, Well share that with us Because where does Alien Covenant Take the audience Where does it sit In the
2: Alien franchise Well it takes us Straight back to the territory That won the franchise It's acclaims So Alien Covenant is horror in space uh, or horror on a planet where no one can hear you scream, basically. Mm. Um, Very much like the first Alien film, though there are touches of the deep thinking that characterised Alien 3, Alien 4. Um, Look, it is more action than both, though. It is really quite thrilling or I would say terrifying certainly more jumps certainly more score so gore so I really want to warn people straight off the bat that this is not suitable for anyone under 18 so there's, there's
0: more because the first film the 979 film was scary but it was more creepy there was more tension it wasn't that gory the, apart from that famous chest bursting scene that yeah, most yeah well people the, know. that's
2: just laid back yeah, we're all assuming a chest burst is going to come along in this film yeah. but in all honesty it gets a bit grimmer than that Right. Um, there's a lot of very gruesome gore lots of shocks that you can expect so look at adults if you're thinking this is one you're going to take kids who are interested in science fiction I just want to say right up the top this is a brilliant film but this is not for their age groups so okay be, you know be careful it also though has some nice touches for the fans you'll see a lot of stuff coming out from the previous franchises the one thing about the alien series is it is truly a universe and they're drawing on things that have happened before you're even going to see some little nods to previous films um, and of course there's no surprise the face huggers are back so if you know anything about the alien franchise you'll know what you know Know, what I'm talking about there.
0: Mm. But with Alien Covenant, this sixth film of the Alien franchise, you're saying that there's thinking as well as the jumps and the shock moments. So what does director Ridley Scott want us to be actually thinking
2: about here? Well, Ridley Scott has always wanted us to consider the whole concept of creation. That's where it's all coming from. The whole series is built on, you know, how did we get here? How did this alien get here? Uh, and so we have a whole sort of series, and the film opens up right off the bat with David the Android talking to Wayland, you know, about creation if you created me then who created you and wayland says that is the most important question you see david the michael fassbender character that's right sorry i should have said that straight out and wayland is obviously the the uh, business genius behind everything anyway wayland's interested for selfish reasons that's what drives the prometheus plot you know if you're a fan but the entire alien covenant stories is about characters reaching to be gods and whether or not that's a good thing so human beings are set to be the new gods. Is that what you're saying? Is that what the movie's saying? Well, yes and no. I mean, the, are human beings going to make decent gods? That's one of the first things that the series wants to know. But secondly, you um, know, it, uh, it makes a really interesting point that if um, a symphony is out of tune from the first note, okay, then the whole symphony is going to be a mess. Wow,
0: that's very okay? deep.
2: Yeah, and I might so, go away and ponder that. That's pretty good. And <laughs> yeah. it's re- it's really interesting because you've actually got this situation that can. Human beings, however brilliant they become, create good things if they're not good themselves. And, and that's a really interesting place for science fiction to go. And we discover, you know, to be honest, that that's not the case. We don't seem to be able to do anything other than magnify our own sins. So if we have sin in us, then it is going to affect things all the way. And of course, actually, Jesus said this. He said, look, even a little leaven, and he's talking about the sort of the idea of having yeast in a in a loaf of bread, even a little leaven leavens the whole batch. OK, it works its way out. And that's basically what Alien Covenant is all about that you can try to get beyond sin but it is always going to play out in the end
3: alright well be warned Alien Covenant is not for the faint hearted it's rated MA15 plus for strong science fiction themes and violence and it had Mark jumping out of his seat apparently (laughs) he did I was hiding behind my wife (laughs) oh there you go (laughs) it stars Catherine Waterson sorry Waterston Catherine Waterston Michael Fassbender Billy Crudup and uh, Danny McBride and it's showing in a dark cinema near you Now, coming up on The Big Picture, The Dummies Guide to Twin Peaks, one of the greatest shows of all time. Amen. And uh, Ben visits The Shack. Is it worth cracking open the door? We'll find out next. Welcome back. Well, today we'll go down in history as a very, very special and monumental day. And why is that, Sam? Well, after about 25 years after the final episode of Twin Peaks Season 2 aired, one of TV's most groundbreaking and acclaimed series and one of my... I know that's
2: one of our favourite TV Me shows and of all you, time. My and I'd just like to insert yada, yada, yada at this point. What are you talking about? I've never seen Twin Peaks. What? No! Get out! Get
3: out, actually. Get out. Well, like, let's get back on oh. track here because, yes, after 25 years, Since the last season The brand new season Has premiered today On streaming service Stan Mm. But maybe Like Mark Hadley You don't know anything About Twin Peaks Well here to help us Is Dave Brown The former deputy editor Of Empire Who is now The resident Twin Peaks Guru for Stan So for press record This week Dave delivers to you The dummy's guide To Twin Peaks I hope you're listening Mark Hadley
1: what are the things that we should know about Twin Peaks? Well number one is directed by David Lynch and anyone who doesn't know David Lynch he's a crazy filmmaker, an artist uh, he's made films like A Razorhead and Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart and his work is amazing and unlike anything you'd like to see and then it was thrilling that he took this kind of weird imagery and bizarre ideas he has on the cinema screen and brought them to TV. Because David Lynch is more of an art house
0: uh, favourite, a bit of a critics choice, David Lynch, but he's not necessarily known in the mainstream, is he? So one of the reasons that Twin Peaks went over so well, what, 20, 25 years ago, is because you got this guy with these amazing ideas coming to mainstream TV, and do you think effectively
1: revolutionising it? Most definitely, it was unlike anything that anyone had seen before on TV, and it had one of those great kickoffs that once you watched it you were hooked, what was the kickoff? I don't think it's spoiling anyone by telling us what the kickoff is. And this, for a dummy's guide, we need to know what was the kickoff? The homecoming queen, Laura Palmer, in the town of Twin Peaks, is found dead on a riverbank, wrapped in plastic, with a small little, little letter R on her fingernail. Now, that's in the opening sequence of Twin Peaks, the TV show, which had two seasons, did it not? It, it had two seasons. Uh, the first season was eight episodes, and there were 20 odd episodes in the second season. It became a thing, like, who killed Laura Palmer? Everyone wanted to know. By the time we got to the point when they revealed who killed Laura Palmer, I think a lot of people were kind of like just just crazed because everyone was so desperate. It was this massive, massive big thing when the show was, was broadcast. But they took a long time getting there. David Lynch never wanted to reveal it. He wanted everyone just to carry on watching and always never know who killed Laura Palmer. And during that time, we get like these weird red rooms with backward talking dwarfs. There's a lady who lives there called the Log Lady who talks to a log and her log talks to her. Uh, There's lots of crazy characters, as you would expect from a David Lynch production. And another thing about it is it pushed boundaries. It showed things you hadn't seen on TV before. And when you do find out who killed Laura Palmer, it's just horrible and distressing and really disturbing. So it really, it tested its audience in so many ways. All of that sounds actually
0: kind of traumatizing, Dave, the way you put it like that. But why do you think did Twin Peaks become such a big deal? Why were people so hooked?
1: Look, I think they were hooked, as I said, because something like this has never been seen before. And through the whole thing, you had Karl McLaughlin as uh, Agent Cooper, who is this like wide-eyed boy scout, kind of thumbs up FBI agent who comes into town and he just kind of like, you became him and he became the audience because you were meeting all these people for the first time. So it's just a fantastic way to drive Drive the show. The music as well. The music was fantastic. Now, even Twin Peaks dummies out there would know that Twin Peaks is
0: returning. Got an all new season of Twin Peaks. You're a massive Twin Peaks fan, but what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to be worthwhile a return to Twin Peaks?
1: And that is the thing nobody knows. In In these days of internet and tweeting and Facebook, there's nothing has been revealed about this. We know there's a massive cast, it's over 200 cast members in this new show. We know it's 18 episodes, all directed by David Lynch, and he made Made it as an 18-hour continuous movie and then chopped it into bits to be broadcast. So no one knows. David Lynch also hasn't made anything in like over 10 years. And that's really exciting because until they broadcast that first episode, nobody knows. So Dave, even for Twin Peaks Dummies, I take it you're recommending they check out the new Twin Peaks? Uh, Most definitely. Check it out. But if you have time, try and watch the other 29 episodes of seasons one and two first. That was
0: Dave Brown, former Deputy Editor of Empire. He's now the resident Twin Peaks guru at Stan, which basically means for the last month or so, he's been writing articles for everywhere from The Guardian to BuzzFeed Mm. about Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks. Um, So hopefully that dummy's guide was something of an introduction for a lot of people who, like Mark Hadley, may not know anything about Twin Peaks, might have heard about it, might not have. It's true. It's been on the landscape. Yeah, but why it's such a big deal around the place, we'll be talking about it in the next couple of weeks. Now the the new series is back and around. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, But hopefully that was a very nice, helpful snapshot of why Sam and I, at least, are well into Twin Peaks. (laughs) Well, a few weeks ago we discussed the film The Case
3: for Christ. And this week, another best-selling Christian book-turned-movie is here, The Shack. And Ben, well, you visited the shack. I've been along to the shack. To see what has been done with one of the most controversial Christian books released in the last uh, few decades. Will it have the same impact on the big screen as from the printed page?
2: The letter showed up in my mailbox with no tracks in the snow. You're not thinking about going back there, are you? i got to do something. You know, this isn't a good idea. It's crazy. This is all i got. Got the fire going inside if you want to warm up.
1: Mackenzie Allen Phillips. I've been looking forward to this. Do I know you? Not very well, but we can work on
0: that. Okay, Sam Worthington, Australian actor Sam Worthington, I think best known for starring in Avatar, starring here as Mac, the lead character in The Shack. Uh, He's married to Nan, played also by Australian actress Radha Mitchell, two Australians um, headlining The Shack. Uh, Nan and Mac's family experience uh, a significant tragedy And uh, from that point, we're particularly focused on Mac and the grief that he's going through. He's a father who's struck by despair, anger, guilt about what's happened to his family. Uh, At an early point in the film, he gets invited to the shack, the quote-unquote shack, for a weekend with Papa, which is weird to say the least. But he goes along and discovers that Papa, which is the affectionate name his wife Nan calls God, is actually waiting for him. So God is waiting for Mac at the shack for something that you could loosely describe as a
2: weekend at God's. Right, okay. Now, look, we've both read the book. So how close is the shack to William P. Young's book? It sounds how, like, pretty
0: close. It's it's really, really faithful. Apart from it remixes a little bit with the order of events. So nice. uh, the film you get, the first half is the setup to getting to the shack the second half is what happens when you're there. Uh, there's um, some some of the things that you re- get told in the book and the order of events has just been kind of front-loaded a bit more in the film, I think, to build up the backstory of what's going on with Mac and his family i'm, I'm being deliberately vague because for anyone who hasn't read the book it's uh, quite powerful when you see on screen what actually happens to mac's family anyone who's a parent particularly i think will be significantly affected well you actually what had a mate.
2: You, you took our mate russell on didn't
0: you yeah so so russ who was um on the show last couple of weeks um helping us out doing some reviews while mark was away he went along he hadn't read the book so he was uh, quite struck particularly early on by all these events in the film that he hadn't like, had no familiarity with um I think then what happens though with Mac, like it's definitely it's um they it's well it's close to what's in the book, mm-hmm. so highly faithful to the book. but it's that difference between when you read something in a book and you're imagining it yourself versus when you see it on screen. and when you see it on screen, it just becomes like a well done telly movie. There's a lot of stuff in the shack that's very me- me- melodramatic, it gets increasingly preachy and it can be a little bit sugary and kind of lollipop colored and that sort of thing. and that comes out on screen and so progressively, as the film went on, it for me became more and more cornball and a bit like it's harder to be it's harder to take seriously when you're actually watching it in front of your eyes. Uh, for, for Sam Wentz's part, I think she does a great job at selling a lot of the cheese and Octo- Octavia Spencer, an Oscar-winning actress, is well cast, but she struggles with who she actually has to play, which is God. She plays the figure of God for, for most of this film. She's basically a female version of Morgan Freeman, mm. but she gets saddled with a lot of fluffy and cornball lines a,
2: as the Shack goes along that can be quite hard to swallow. Okay, well, look, I think most people would know how controversial the shack has been. That are Christians who love it and other Christians who... To challenge it. Uh, what are some of the biggest points of contention? How do they go on screen?
0: But given this is so faithful to the novel, anyone who's read it and dived into any of the controversy about the shack would know that it's really difficult to even know where to start. Like there are so mm. many mm. theological, um, you know, uh, so many issues to do with knowing and understanding God that get raised by the shack. It's like, wow. Uh, So everything from seeing the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, um, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit represented up on screen and the way they're depicted, particularly God being a woman, that's been highly controversial since the novel came out. It's not going to be any less so now that it's up on screen. But there's a vast spectrum of topics that get dived into as well. The big ones are the presence of evil and why is there suffering if God's good, God's wrath and eternal judgment, show up and the consequences of sin and the and and what bearing that has on heaven and hell that's just for starters for some of the topics that people uh, those who love the novel say it's an excellent depiction of this those that don't will just totally disagree with that and say that it's not and um, there's but one of the strong things that comes through the shack which i think is the what happened in the novel too is that william p young the author of it really wanted to teach on forgiveness and god's love and goodness and that's so strongly the aim of the Shack the movie, that it's it's the easiest element, at least for me, to get behind and say, I may not agree with all of its depiction, but I kind of like the intention mm. of it. But mm. I do have reservations, significant reservations, about the way it's handled on screen. Yeah, I, was, I
2: sort of wonder, though, like as some people who come into this with no knowledge of God, um, what impression of God they'll take away.
0: Yeah, so when it comes to, like, maybe I'll put it this way, if you ask me, could I recommend The Shack to people? I don't think I can. Um, uh, because, and so so for anyone who, I think it, the film is best set almost for people who have no idea about the Christian God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the Bible, about all those sort of things. You've basically got no idea. Or someone who's got a very mature Christian faith And so the person with a very mature Christian faith would be able to sift through a lot of the way that William P. Young has demonstrated um, things about God on screen. And then for someone who doesn't have any knowledge, the best thing that could be said is that you hope it would prompt them to go and find out more about what's being depicted on screen. The danger in the shack, I think, is that someone who has a little bit of knowledge... And there's a huge danger then of them being misled or being misinformed because some of the information that's put up on screen that almost challenges you to think that those behind the film are suggesting this is the way God is, I don't think are, are biblical. I don't think they're upheld by God's own word. Um, there's there's many moments in the film like that. So the, the why I am hesitant to recommend The Shack, even though it's an okay movie and it's very faithful to the book, mm. is the danger of misleading people is
2: is is huge is huge. Okay, well The Shack stars Australians Sam Worthington and Rana Mitchell as well as Oscar winner Octavia Spencer. It's rated M for the very vague reason of including mature themes. Mm. No, I really don't like that rating system, which it does to be sure and it will open at cinemas this Thursday.
3: Well, coming up on the big picture, we've already discussed Mark's fear factor when it came to the alien franchise, so prepare yourselves for Mark's top 5 movies that made him lose sleep, be afraid. Hey, welcome back to
2: The Big Picture. Now, one of the great supporters of the show is, in fact, Eternity Newspaper. So if you've been listening to the show so far, you've enjoyed uh, Ben's review of The Shack. If you haven't, you should check it out on our website. But The Shack uh, is actually covered in greater detail over at Eternity, where there's an interview with creator William P. Young, as well as commentary upon the entire Shack debate. So check that out, eternitynews.com.au. Also
0: a big believer in the big picture. Been supporting us for a long time now, Mark and Sam, is Insights Magazine. They're at insights.uca.org.au. They've also uh, been commenting on The Shack recently, including uh, they've done an interview with one of the stars, Radha Mitchell, in which she revealed how her view of Christianity was reframed by being part mm. of the shack and wow. how challenged she was by the material that was in the shack. It's really quite a revealing read, like and how much detail Radha Mitchell goes into about her own personal spiritual journey insights.uca.org.au. Well, it is time for my favourite time of uh, the show—the top five. Sam, Yay. every time you say that, my friend, like it just makes me feel bad about whatever well, I it am, else we I, was, was, was going to say. earlier, I, uh, we talked about Annie, we adding Hubbard, the Shack. We talked about King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Wasn't that good? Well, Sam? Twin
3: Peaks—one m- of my favourite shows of all time—we've already discussed. So that was a high point. But you know, let's see if we can get any better with top, this top five. <laughs> it's you, you always love this will. part of the show.
2: It certainly will for new listeners uh, to the program, and welcome again to everybody in Brisbane. And we'll be adding more cities as the m- months go on. But we sound like we're trying to conquer a. We're not. We're we're collegially inviting everybody. City by city. (laughs) City by city. We're we're opening our arms wide and saying, come join us at the big picture. At the great family that is. Well, we've been thinking about one film in particular, the blockbuster Alien Covenant, and it was a horror film guaranteed to keep you wide awake. And that got me thinking about the top five this week, what films kept me wide awake. So this is my personal top five films that made me lose sleep. Five. Everyone has one of those films, right, that they watched as a child that's had them braving the hallway late at night so they can crawl into bed with mum and dad. Yes? Something mm-hmm. Wicked This Way Come. This,
0: not to steal your thunder, but no, no, no. are you going to say that? Because that was no. a Disney film, I think, in the 70s that mm. still just the title alone freaks me out and makes me not want to go to bed at night. i was <laughs> like PG rated about some
2: crazy carnival.
0: Anyway, I digress from your list, uh, Mark.
2: Yeah, well, you know, you know the experience, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you know, yeah. That's sort of like, you know, I, the hallway at night might be scary, but I'm going to brave it because i got to get it to mum and dad. Well, the Wizard of Oz. Oh, yes. Seriously,
0: which is a beloved family classic, though.
2: I, it, it came on it, the 1939 version came uh, into the TV guides each week, and as soon as my parents saw it, they circled it so that we could all sit down and watch The Wizard of Oz. So I must have seen it like you know twice a year for most of my formative years, uh, and it was terrifying. <laughs> <Why> <laughs> no, were my
0: parents did you doing let your it? parents know that they were traumatizing well, no, you in no, such a way? Because as a kid, you go, no, 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 I'm okay. I, I love, watch I love it. flying monkeys uh, and 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 witches that get crushed on.
2: The houses. That's what you think would be scary, right? Okay, or, or I would have or, thought so. Yeah, or scarecrow getting set on fire and so Yeah, no, didn't didn't scare me at all. Not a problem. What made you lose sleep? The trees. The tre- oh, the trees. <laughs> so the Trees when they walk through the forest and the oh, trees yeah. they're oh, gonna grow. Yeah. I
0: cannot. But weren't they just like guys in suit in tree suits? No, Ben.
2: <laughs> they were possessed trees. Pretty sure they were. Ben. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And to this very day, creepy plants give me the shivers. <laughs> Four. But nothing like the film Deep Blue Sea from 1999. Mm. Okay. Searching for a cure for Alzheimer's, a team of scientists working on a floating research station decide it's a great idea to create a breed of super-intelligent sharks. Well, nothing's Again, going to go wrong with what that. what could possibly go <laughs> I wrong? Know. So these genetically engineered super-sharks, they get loose. No. They're during an accident, which also starts sinking the experimental science station. Now... <laughs> Just just hold on. Why didn't they build that thing on land? What, and why wasn't it shark proof? <laughs> what, what, yeah. the, what the hey? Why is it sinking? Did, so, anyway. so,
0: given this is kind of silly, this, this well, sounds
2: kind of silly. At one point in the film, someone asks how many people are on board. Okay. And the answer is 13. And I know immediately when I'm watching this that I'm going to see at least 12 shark attacks spaced out over two hours. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I walk out. What? I get because I I I'm a surfer. I do not need 12 shark attacks in my head. I was actually going surfing the next morning.
0: But you went to a movie called Deep Blue Sea that you must have known was about genetically modified sharks that go on a rampage and kill people. So
2: why did you go to see it? I have a level of tolerance. It's somewhere around three shark attacks. <laughs> Twelve. That was just not going So you didn't even see happen. the
0: shark attacks. It made you lose sleep. That The
2: idea of it made you lose sleep. I left. I mean, if Samuel Jackson, who, by the way, was... Oh, he's got a thing for these, snake on, snakes on a plane skull island it's just like everyone being knocked off he's actually going to be in the remake of the blob another one how many people are going to get killed in that yeah it's just this whole idea the scary film that is you know you're just going to see death after death after death i lose sleep on that stuff so i walk out three there's a interestingly a film that really made me lose a lot of sleep okay was the phantom menace Oh, the Star Wars. It actually came out the same year, 1999. You didn't have
0: a lot of sleep that year. No,
2: that wasn't a very good year for sleeping, that one. (laughs) But it's not because I was terrified. Okay, you see, the first volume in George Lucas much anticipated relaunch of the Star Wars franchise, so everybody's lining up to see the Phantom Menace. But it was such a big deal at the time that Star Wars was coming back. It Mm -hmm. was huge. So, But our story actually begins in the year 2000, one year later. Oh, yes. See, during huge anticipation for the release of the Clone Wars, okay, the follow-up to Phantom Menace, there's a necessity involved, isn't there? You've got to rewatch the Phantom Menace because you're going to go and watch the Clone Wars. That's mm-hmm. what everybody does. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're a so diehard. Yep. Uh, yeah, there you go. So I lost sweet sleep because I agreed to wa- rewatch the film with a mate of mine who was an obsessive. He's a director. It was obsessive. We're going to watch it, but he was working late that night, so he didn't get a chance to sit down and watch it until eleven o'clock that night at Ooh. his place. Okay, yes. And, so- and from from memory, I haven't seen it for a while, but the Phantom Menace wasn't much chop. No, and it's long, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and even it's just long. And he fell asleep. Now, this might, not, this might not be a problem, except that I lost sleep because we were, he, the only seat he had in his film room was a beanbag, okay, So which we had to share, okay, oh, I know. and it was one of those huge beanbags, I believe that they are known as a love sack, so anyway, we're sitting in this huge mm-hmm. beanbag together, he's fallen asleep on my shoulder and is snoring and I'm watching Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I lost sleep. (laughs) That will haunt your dreams if you ever get to sleep. Now, speaking of films that make me lose sleep, this is actually not a film so much that made me lose sleep as made my wife lose sleep, okay? Argo. From 2012. Now, long-time fans of The Big Picture will know that I have a problem with the film Argo. You have a problem with the star star. and the
0: director, the producer, writer of that, Ben Affleck, and and in particular does seem to crystallise in
2: this movie Argo, but for the record... It was more of a dislike of Ben Affleck before Argo, Argo, and then it hardened into an absolute hatred. Mm-hmm. In 2012, <laughs> Argo. Yes, yeah. 2012. Acting under the cover of a Hollywood producer scouting a location for a science fiction film, a CIA agent... Ben Affleck launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the US hostage crisis, uh, basically faking a a film in order to get them out. Now, this is based on a true story, is it not, Mark? Absolute garbage. Okay, this is. No,
0: but Argo is based on a true story. That's not garbage. It is,
2: but their take on it is completely rubbish. I was so outraged. People don't understand. Argo makes the CIA out to be the heroes. The real work, the real rescue, belong to the Canadians who are actually assisting them. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. they go as far as to launch the film in Canada, okay? <laughs> you know, the Canadians are like, "What? No. What?" Well, it'd be like somebody doing the Anzac story and giving the credit to the Americans, okay? That's what it would be like. The I'm film... sure that
0: movie's coming. Ben <laughs> Affleck, I believe, is like has that in production <laughs> at, at the at moment. Worse,
2: ben Affleck uh, uh, casts himself in the leading role as a Mexican. Now, as a Mexi- uh, did I, the leading did too. role as a yeah. Mexican? I'm just trying to say, okay, Ben. Your acting ability, your your emotionless flat face thing, works for Batman, but not as a Mexican. So, so Mark. Um, so my wife lostly because just, I still have not stopped about this film. That was my. I'm question. probably going to keep it's, going. It's like five years Give later man. Give me another man. opportunity. I will just t- I will preach the word. Repent, Ben. Repent. But let's get on to something happier. Oh, i go. No, let me just put that aside. <laughs> let it go, friend. Let okay, it go. Oh, oh. For your
0: wife's sake, please okay, let, let go. it go.
2: Let me go with my number one film for, mo- for, for losing sleep over. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, 2001, 2003, watching not one, but all three Lord of the Rings films back to back. The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, The Return of the King. Who has not done this? Okay. Uh, can I, don't I admit
3: think- something? I don't think oh, I have.
2: No. I can't make it through
3: one Lord of the Rings film without falling asleep at least twice. So Whoa. I watch them in one-hour installments. <laughs> oh,
0: this man. is true. Yeah, I, I can like, no, go okay. with you on that journey. Anyway, um, listen. I feel so. You
2: find sleep in find Lord of the Rings, sleep. but you lose we, sleep. We've Mark. just divided the big picture audience between people who watch Twin Peaks. <laughs> and people who like the Lord of the
0: Rings. Twin <laughs> Peaks. Twin
3: chicks. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, I'm thinking that's not a large crowd. <laughs> okay. So you would be surprised. I'll move However, on. go okay. back to your loss of sleep at the Lord of the Let's Rings. Let's face it, it is a guilty pleasure. The getting all the friends together, dragging out, you know, the director's cut. I mean, it yeah, was. How long are those sort of, directors' cuts? They're about fifteen they, hours long, aren't they? They are four hours long each. 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 My so that's bird. you take all three now let me lay it out for you. This yeah. is what you do, because I've done this. You take all three, okay? You've got twelve hours of film you've got to get. Through. True. yes so you start at 8 a.m on a saturday and we usually organize meals program in toilet <laughs> breaks. And then we exercise exo- we even have exercise breaks for deep vein thrombosis because you've been sitting there a long time okay <laughs> most flights to you know la okay and so and then we settle in for what is usually when you add all those things in a 20 hour epic Okay, so somewhere in the middle of the night, when it finally finishes with its seven endings and the return of the king, that is a bit of a problem. Um, you basically Frodo and the whole Fellowship of the Ring are the most loathsome people you've ever seen, and you just want them to get on the boat and get out of there. Okay, you just want the whole thing to go. Good. Yeah. Riddance. Yeah. Strangely though, I've done it four times, and I basically can't. Com- I'm not. Can't say I'm not going to do it again because it's just one of those epic things you lose sleep over. Look, it's not the most conducive line for those involved in quiet reflection, I might admit. You shall not pass. But basically, it's great fun. Well, thank you
0: for making us all lose sleep,
3: Mark. Mm, (laughs) Coming up next week on The Big Picture, because we are out of time for the show tonight. Very sad indeed. But check out the podcast if you want to. Coming up on the show next week, We'll be speaking with the, the director of The Shack,
0: Stuart Hazeldean. We'll also be talking about a new Australian drama that explores the personal impact
2: of sexual abuse. And Ben sails the red carpet for his Pirates of the Caribbean 5 review.
0: Where, yee ahoy, etc. I'm going to be Ben McKeckin.
2: And I'll still be Mark Hadley. See you then.
1: The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production. sharing the light of God's word into every corner of your world.